Good morning, and welcome to this edition of a public affair on KGNU with the Community Foundation of Boulder County. I'm your host, Jim Williams, Dean Emeritus University Libraries for CU Boulder, and I'm a trustee for your Community Foundation. On December 30th, 2021, the most destructive wildfire in this state's history destroyed nearly 1,000 homes in Boulder County. This unimaginable tragedy brought a global outpouring of generous support for our neighbors affected by these fires with a massive mobilization of resources, volunteering, and tens of thousands of donations, including over 22 million given to the Boulder County Wildfire Fund. In collaboration with the county, Community Foundation of Boulder County immediately began dispersing $5.5 million of these funds at the Disaster Assistance Center located in Lafayette to thousands of individuals and families who had their homes damaged or destroyed, as well as to those who were evacuated. Today, I'm joined by Brennan Banks, Director of Disaster Relief for the Community Foundation of Boulder County. And he is the person who's stewarding the wildfire fund. So Brennan, welcome. So delighted to have you on the show. You have such extensive experience with disaster recovery. So I'd, I'd like for you to tell the audience a little bit about your background and how you fit into the recovery effort around the Marshall and Middle Fork fires. Tell us. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for having me and for you know highlighting this uh, current disaster that uh, our communities are, are currently dealing with. Um, just to come to your question, uh, I have a background in disaster management and disaster philanthropy. And just to explain what disaster management means for, for some of our viewers, it's really looking at all of the different cycles that are related to a disaster. It starts with risk reduction and mitigation. It continues with disaster preparedness. And then once a disaster occurs, we move into phases that we're probably more familiar with, and that is disaster response and relief, which is that immediate emergency phase, uh, the days and weeks following disaster, where we're working with the community to provide immediate assistance, whether it be for shelter, whether it be for food and water, um, sometimes it could be emergency health, et cetera. And then the fourth phase would be disaster recovery. And, and disaster recovery is, is that, that long uh, period in which individuals, families, households, and, and the entire community is working to fully rebuild and restore uh, their homes, their livelihoods, their communities to a pre-disaster state. So I've been working in this disaster management field uh, for about two decades, um, starting with uh, work in the West Coast uh, here in the domestic United States, um, and where I've had a lot of experience with both earthquakes and wildfires. 
Um, and for the larger part of my career, uh, I, I sort of transitioned into the international humanitarian space where I worked with the International Red Cross as a global disaster uh, management coordinator, responding to large disasters uh, around the world. More recently, uh, as I've gotten a little bit older, I like to joke and say, you know, my knees and my back can't keep up with uh, chasing disasters. And I've decided to uh, work more closely with the philanthropic community, the private sector foundations to advise them on how they can best support communities, both before and after disaster. And in that more recent role, uh, I've worked very closely with uh, responding organizations, humanitarian groups, foundations across the country to coordinate their response to uh, disasters. Uh, and in looking back the last few years, a lot of that work uh, has revolved around the increase in wildfires out in the West, uh, as well as hurricanes in the Southeast and, and the Caribbean. Um, so that that background is, is what brought me uh, to uh, the Community Foundation as the incoming dis Director for Disaster Recovery, where I will be working with the team there, local government, uh, and many of the various community partners and stakeholders to make sure that we are identifying uh, the pressing needs of the community, both now during this response phase, but more importantly, during that long-term recovery phase that the long-term recovery phase that I referred to earlier. Well, thank you. Uh, tell us about how you gather information about what the immediate, short-term and long-term needs are of the community to determine how the wildfire funds are spent and, and what kind of deliberations go on in terms of making the the hard decisions about how those funds are going to be spent? Well, that's a great question, Jim. And I think I will start by just stating what, you know, it's probably obvious for many, but, but not for all. You know, every disaster is different. Um, you know, not every hurricane is the same, wildfire, earthquake. They're all different. The, the way they impact in a community is different. Uh, the 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 uh, the effects you know on you know, families and, and and individuals is going to be different you know and a lot of that comes down to measuring the scope and the scale of the disaster, but with that said, the most important uh, approach to really determine you know what these needs are is through collaboration and and at the foundation we want to collaborate and and we are and we will continue to collaborate and work very closely with many of our government partners and that's at the the local and state uh, levels in addition um and I, I think this is probably even more important is is working closely with many of our nonprofit partners and other key community stakeholders and i like to always use the words it's about listening and learning you know, you should never come into a new disaster uh, with any type of uh, preconceived notions as to what the needs are for that community. You need to come in, you need to listen and learn as much as you can, both from government partners and the community stakeholders, but also the people that have been impacted by that disaster. Um, those are the people that can better and best inform us as to what their needs are. Um, and then, in addition to identifying those needs, and I, I always want to stress this, it's important to identify the gaps because once we identify the needs, and those are going to be you know across the board, whether it's shelter and housing, whether it's livelihood restoration, um, you know you want to identify 
what are the gaps, you know, and where are those gaps and how best can uh, the community foundation work with local government, uh, key stakeholders, those that have been affected, as well as other philanthropic partners, uh, whether they be from the regional level or the national level that are coming in to, to support our communities. So you want to work with all those uh, various entities and determine what those needs are. You want to make sure you're using data to back up uh, some of these needs and then, uh, you know, measure that uh, against any gaps and, and see how we can address those gaps that, uh, again, um, you know, are, are issues that, you know, families are, are dealing with. And, and, and the, the, the goal is always to remove those uh, issues, remove those barriers that are preventing individuals and families from, from fully recovering from that event. And, and we do that through that, that collaboration, that coordination, listening and learning, and addressing those gaps as they're identified. Well, we know now with over $22 million in donations, that there's a lot of interest in what the Community Foundation is going to do with those dollars. And one of the immediate questions from our community is, why can't the wildfire fund just be distributed to all those who are in need immediately and to individuals and families affected by these two fires? <laughs> and and the, that's another great question. It's, it's a question that we, we get all the time that, that I get, you know, um, in various disasters that I've been involved with in the past. So there's a couple of different answers. You know, first, you know, I'll start with, you know, with one that some people might not be aware of, but there's actually, you know, IRS laws, you know, that govern foundations that only allow uh, a wildfire, such as the, the, the recovery wildfire established for the Marshall Fire, to distribute a portion directly as cash assistance. Um, it's really important that uh, the recovery fund or any recovery fund for any disaster is also looking at who are the actors supporting the community. So as we support people directly with direct financial assistance, and I've just been so proud of the team at the Community Foundation and the team at the county that's been just a fantastic partner to allow us to actually get money out into the pockets of people that have been affected. Because as you know, money is, is, a, is a great way of empowering people to address what their immediate needs are, what they feel they need to, to address. So we've been very successful in uh, mobilizing uh, direct financial assistance um, you know, within the, the first 10 to 14 days. Um, but it's important that recovery funds or any disaster funds are also, as I mentioned, focusing on supporting the other organizations that are supporting people. So making sure that uh, other local nonprofits and other key uh, nonprofits based in Boulder County or maybe in the state, that they're also uh, receiving the sufficient amount of support uh, to enable them to provide their specific uh, areas of services, programs and interventions, you know, whether it be mental health. Um, you know, it's one thing to provide direct assistance to, to families affected by disaster. But, you know, when we look at an issue such as mental health or psychosocial support, you know, we need to support uh, mental health entities, organizations, mental health groups and, and, and workers to come in and provide those services. So I use that just as one example as why it's also important for a fund to issue grants and disperse funds to the other uh, humanitarian groups and nonprofits are involved in the disaster response 
And then I would just end by, while we also focus on individual and family needs, there's also the needs of the community as a whole. You know, again, depending on the type of the disaster, the type of impact, the scope and scale, but quite often there are certain uh, recovery needs that are, you know, required for the community as a whole. I like to call it the community infrastructure. I think of the Marshall Fire, we've been fortunate that we didn't, for example, see any schools destroyed uh, or, or even damaged. Um, you know, there, I'm not aware of any health clinics, for example, that, that might've been destroyed or maybe community parks, their key infrastructure, but in some cases you also need to come in and look for those uh, those needs in terms of community recover, recovery. And again, uh, any established disaster recovery fund should be also looking at those type of needs and, and, and investments that are required for, as I like to say, total community recovery. So it's gonna start with supporting those individuals and those families directly but again, as we move into long-term recovery, we need to make sure that we're also supporting the other actors that are best positioned to come in and, and provide those other areas of support, whether it be wraparound services or specific support for rebuilding houses, again, reestablishing livelihoods, uh, supporting small businesses. I mean, there's a whole list of, of various sectors I, I can uh, mention. And our recovery fund will, again, be looking at all of these sectors determining what the needs are across these sectors, identifying those gaps, and making sure that um, we can mobilize philanthropic dollars to support individuals and the community as a whole through the recovery process. Thanks. And uh, I'll be back to you in a moment to talk about, to, to say a few more things about gaps. But I want to take a moment and thank our listeners for tuning in to KGNU's of Public Affair this morning. I'm speaking today with Brennan Banks, Director of Disaster Recovery for the Community Foundation of Boulder County. And he's telling us about the Boulder County Wildfire Fund. So Brennan, when the foundation talks about gaps, what does, what does it actually mean when it says it fills gaps to meet the needs of those affected by the fires? Great question. And then, you know, there's different ways of, of looking at gaps and, and how we define gaps. And, you know, I guess I can come up with a few different answers. I'll start with, with, with trying to define it and then provide some clarity and some examples. But again, those gaps, those are the, the uh, specific areas of support or intervention or assistance that uh, individuals and families might need that are not being currently addressed. And there's different reasons why they might not uh, be, be uh, in, a, in a situation where they're being addressed. First and foremost, there could be a lack of, of uh, funding to support you know, that specific area. Um, second, it could be a situation where um, government uh, assistance, whether it be FEMA or from other entities, maybe their timeliness to bring those financial resources into place might actually present a gap. So that's sort of a, a time, a gap in time, if you will. For example, if someone's applying for, uh, you know, federal assistance and they need that assistance next week, but maybe the application process is going to take one, two, three months to process. Just, just you know, hypothetically speaking here, you know, sometimes that gap could be, you know, a stop, you know, us addressing a stop gap measure. Um, but when we look at gaps, 
quite often, especially with long-term recovery, it's areas where we know families and individuals need some additional support, but for some reason, they're not being addressed or not being fully supported, whether it is, again, not to, to point fingers at our friends at government, but whether it's from government, it could be from you know their local community, could be from the fact that, as we all know, immediately after a disaster, we see a lot of uh, a nonprofit humanitarian response organizations, for example, outside of the state coming in to help, but they're around maybe for just a few weeks, maybe a month or two, and then they move on. They might have been addressing a need during that time and doing it very well, but as they, they pull out, and move on to the next disaster or move back you know uh, outside the state then that need now might be presented with a new gap because it's no longer being addressed um so again this this could touch many of the different sectors whether it's it's housing uh, whether it's you know restoring education and ensuring that kids don't have any uh, disruptions in, 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 to, in their education. Um, it could be, you know, gaps with uh, uh, getting small businesses uh, back on their feet or getting individuals back uh, into their workplace. So those gaps really boil down to really identifying where we feel there are areas that aren't being sufficiently or adequately addressed. And we want to make sure that uh, you know, philanthropic dollars or other partners are coming in and addressing those gaps. And, and the best way to have total recovery and complete recovery for individuals, families, and, and their community is to make sure we're, we're identifying those gaps and we're addressing those gaps. Oh, thank you. That's that's very helpful. Speaking of gaps, the Wildfire Fund recently approved $1.5 million of what's being described as lost wages and lost tools of the trade. Can you tell our listeners more about this program? Yeah, so the livelihoods, you know, it's such um, an important um, component for any family's, uh, uh, you know, economic stability. And, and after a disaster, that, that um, you know, access to income becomes even more vital. Um, because th th that's the financial resources that any family needs to sustain themselves, but more importantly, to start to rebuild and, and to recover. Um, and, and in my years of working with uh, disaster uh, you know, management, disaster response recovery specifically, you know, quite often uh, the issue of livelihoods is overlooked because we're looking at, you know, the, 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 the you know, more evident needs uh, that are in our face, whether it's housing, food, water, you know, shelter, those old tr traditional emergency areas. But the best way to support, you know, a family with uh, addressing the shock of the disaster and enabling them and empowering them to, to move forward with their recovery is to, sure that, to ensure that they still have access to um, finances and, and can maintain some, you know, somewhat of their financial independence and freedom. So, you know, recognizing the importance of, of stabilizing livelihoods after disaster, the, uh, the Community Foundation's Wildfire Recovery Fund Advisory Committee I was very uh, keen on making a commitment to address this specific need. And, and one could even call this a gap, you know, coming back to the previous question and conversations. You know, we, we initially provided direct financial assistance to uh, uh, those affected by this disaster, whether it was their house was destroyed, damaged, or if they were just evacuated. And, and that's a good start. But now we notice, okay, we got to address this gap, which is we have a lot of families 
that have lost their income um, and, and they need some additional support to, to address this gap. Um, and you also have to think of the fact that we have many businesses in our community that have been impacted and have had to shutter or close their business. So there's also those workers that have lost their wages and livelihoods. Maybe they're not affected by the fire themselves. Maybe their home was not destroyed or not touched by the fire, but now they've suffered from this event because they no longer, no longer have access to their employment and to their livelihood. So, you know, recognizing um, the fact that if we don't stabilize people's livelihoods now, we're going to have people hitting a second shock, a second wave of issues um, that are still directly connected to the fire, but it's like a second shock to them. So it's important that um, any uh, appropriate response is also addressing livelihoods and lost wages. And, and we, we, we use those two words because it's really the lost wages. Again, those are people that have had their uh, employment temporarily or permanently disrupted. We want to make sure that, you know, they have some basic support just to get through a week or two until their unemployment insurance can come in. So this is meant to complement other assistance that we know will come into place. But right now we need to make sure that they have their basic uh, financial uh, stability and independence in place. And then coming to that, that livelihoods, you know, we have people that have lost their tools of the trade. You know, we have plumbers, carpenters, uh, other, you know, service workers, uh, other industries where people have tools or, you know, basic requirements that they need to fulfill and execute their job. So they might still have their job, but they no longer have their tools of the trade because they were lost in the fire. So that's why we also want to address those individuals that have maybe lost the tools that they need to continue with their livelihood, which is slightly different from someone that might have been in a situation where they lost their job completely or had a disruption in their, in their wages. So that's a two-pronged approach with the same goal, stabilize people's livelihoods, stabilize their access to funds during this immediate response phase until they could get back on their feet, back into their place of employment, back into their vehicle, going to do you know, their, their, their trade um, and, and, and their livelihood. And, and I just want to add, you know, again, for those listeners out there, please, uh, you know, go to boco.org, that's B-O-C-O.org, slash Marshall Fire Assistance. And on that page, you know, you're going to get a whole host of resources um, that you need to get through this current situation. And on that uh, web page, you'll also see a section about financial assistance. And there'll be a link there where viewers and those affected can apply for financial assistance, uh, including what I've just highlighted, the lab, livelihoods and lost wages fund. And I just also want to really thank uh, the county um, and, and our partnership with the county has just been fantastic. And we wouldn't be able to do any of this um, if not for their support and their ability to, to implement and facilitate a lot of this. So this is another great example of you know, philanthropy and government coming together, joining forces, sharing resources uh, to, to make sure that our residents have what they need in the timely manner. Okay, one last important question for you, and it has to do with how you get your work done. So you have mentioned this advisory committee um, to the wildfire fund. And we want our listeners to know that an advisory committee has been formulated of local community leaders 
And it has been created in order to guide the funding of the wildfire fund, which you are so much a part of. Will you give us just a minute a sense so that our listeners understand how the fund dollars will be spent moving forward? This type of committee work, Brendan, can be quite stressful, particularly when there are limited resources. So tell us about this committee and how it works. Thank you for that. You know, the advisory committee has been established uh, specifically for the, the uh, Boulder County uh, Wildfire Fund. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, it, it's, it's uh, a group of folks from the community. These are community stakeholders. Uh, these are uh, members of some of our local nonprofits. These are members, our former uh, members of local government. Um, both at the city and the county level. These are, these are business leaders in the community as well. This advisory committee is the community and they are tasked with helping us to both develop the strategy for the recovery fund and implement the disbursement of the recovery fund. So it goes back to that listening and learning that I mentioned earlier. They are our eyes and ears. They are here to help educate, advise us to provide recommendations, to provide introductions, to, to link us up with um, other key stakeholders to make sure that we have a full pulse of the situation on the ground, going back to you know, what those needs and what those gaps are. So these advisory committee members are you know, stakeholders and leaders in the community that are representing the community and providing direct input, guidance, direction, on this recovery fund, you know, uh, myself as a director for disaster recovery and and the entire team of the CUNY Foundation, um, you know, we recognize that uh, we need the input of the larger community. We need to ensure that others are having a buy-in, they have a voice, and that they're contributing to the direction of this fund because it's not something that one or one person or a small group of people can can take on by themselves. It really takes the effort of uh, the larger community. And uh, you know, my work with the advisory committee today has just been phenomenal. Um, and again, I've been impressed with the, the uh, diversity, the, the representation from different, uh, different uh, pockets of our community. And uh, you know, they've come on board and helped us to, to move quickly with identifying those needs uh, and, and come up with the appropriate approaches and appropriate partners to ensure that the uh, Community Foundation Recovery Fund is able to disperse funds in, in a timely and an appropriate manner. And, and it's just, you know, this is something that we couldn't do alone and it requires the effort of, of the entire community. And, and I'm just happy to see the community represented so well through this advisory committee. And lastly, uh, you know, they work very closely with the Community Foundation's board. Again, they act as an advisory uh, council. Um, with the board also involved in the final decision making for any and every dollar that is uh, coming out of the wildfire recovery fund. Brendan, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. And thank you for your fine work on behalf of Boulder County. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in to the Community Foundation's monthly program on KGN News of public affair. You can learn more about the Community Foundation of Boulder County 
at commfound.org. We'll be back with you on KGNU's of Public Affair on February 28th. Be well, everyone. Be well. <laughs>